Hi guys, welcome back to Infinite Possibilities, the podcast where we explore the lives of amazing people, their choices, challenges and opportunities. And today I have a very special guest, Lloyd. G'day Karen, good to see you today. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's a big honour. No problems. Yeah, so Lloyd, what is your kind of one minute introduction about what you do? Okay, so basically I'm a knowledge manager uh, and that means that um, I help people find knowledge when they need it. Uh, I help people share it out to everybody else. Uh, I connect people to tools and resources basically uh, for things that they need to help them complete their roles. Oh, sounds fancy and sounds awesome. <laughs> so we really want to know like how Lloyd got to where he is. So we're going to start right from the beginning. So Lloyd, what kind of child were you like growing up? Mm, that's very interesting. <laughs> I wasn't particularly academic or sporty. Um, I basically always had a very technical sort of mindset. So even from a young age, uh, when I was first introduced to computers, they first really started to come out uh, from about the age of 10 or 11 upwards. Um, I would spend quite a lot of time on computers at home um, or even doing electronic uh, experiments. Um, and I have to say I really spent my time more on writing programs than say playing games for instance. Yeah. I always had that that passionate desire to learn something new, to make something useful. Uh, even if it was writing a game, for instance, it was the going through the process rather than playing a game. Yeah. Uh, I got quite interested also in electronics. Um, so from about the age of 12 upwards, I started uh, making circuits, making circuit boards at home. Wow. Um, and just doing all sorts of different things in the way of electronics, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And like, where did you and how did you develop that interest? Because other people are playing games and mm. then you're making them. Like, did you have any influences or did you just suddenly feel like, oh yeah, I want to make them? Uh, I was always quite intrigued by programming. Um, and even back in those days, it was all, quite a lot of influence was in assembly language. Uh, which is basically the lowest level of programming you could get. Um, so I was always intrigued about that. I found it very complex and tricky. Yeah. Um, but it was something that I liked to explore with a little bit. Uh, basic was a big thing back then. Uh, getting online bulletin boards was, yeah. <laughs> was how you got online back then, way before things such as the internet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And how did you sort of um, fit in the school environment? Not very sporty, not very academic. So did you enjoy school? Did you enjoy not reading? Really. <laughs> not at all. Um, <laughs> Why is that? You love knowledge. Shouldn't it be like school be the hub of knowledge? <laughs> yeah, the school environment probably, I probably didn't fit in as well as others in the school environment. Yeah. Uh, but hey, I got through it. <laughs> uh, when I left high school, I actually did uh, two years at TAFE and I actually found that that was really a lot of people would say, you know, that's the best years of their life. Yeah. Um, and for me, reflecting back, that, that was most certainly very enjoyable for me, much more than, than say, high school, for oh. instance. Um, because that was where you really got to tap into your, your actual passion, you know. Yeah. So I did a social diploma of engineering there in um, computers and electronic engineering, um, which was really the heart of what I, what yeah. I loved to do. So. Oh. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Yeah, wow, awesome. And at that time, like you know, high school ish, 
Did you sort of have any ideas about the future and what you wanted to do slash what did your parents have anything in particular that they wanted you to pursue? No, I have to say not really. Um, mm. Towards the end of my teens, you know, I obviously started to form a bit of a picture. I really enjoyed uh, programming. I really enjoyed the hardware side of computers as well. So I felt at this stage I could have really ended up going either, either way. way. Um, I did come to a realisation at one point though that um, programming was probably not so much for me um, because it's extreme, it can be extremely mentally taxing and it's very hard to separate the work from the out of work oh. hours because it's all in your head. Yeah. So it's something that you need to be able to really switch off from. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, so I actually chose to go down the, the computer hardware path. Um, and that's where my career sort of started in IT support, if you like, mm. many, many years ago. Yeah, awesome. And was that your kind of like first job ever, IT support? Yeah, so my first job was uh, building computers for a computer store. Ooh, and how was that? A taste of the real world. Oh, that was interesting. Uh, we had a couple of larrikins there in the workshop. <laughs> uh, very interesting. Learnt, certainly learnt a lot. Um, have some pretty fond memories of that. Um, and yeah, that I was doing that kind of in parallel to my studies at college. Oh, you're doing it at the same time. So it all fitted in together quite well, yes. Yeah, and how did you manage both at the same time? Was it hard? No, not at all. I mean, I enjoyed the nature of my work. I enjoyed the nature of my study. Um, you know, academically at school, I wasn't a very high performer as such, but I was doing all of these computer and electronic things outside of school. So to transition <laughs> that from, from, you know, my years growing up into this study and to a job was just a natural progression for me. So it worked really well, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And then tell me on to the, what was your kind of next job at IBM? Woohoo! Yeah, that's, um, that's some years after that. Um, but yes, I ended up doing uh, six months with IBM for the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Wow. Um, so that was pretty amazing. We were, uh, my team was at the Gabba Cricket Stadium. Um, we had the stadium to ourselves, leading right up to the games. Um, and then we actually... Uh, you know, set up all the infrastructure uh, for all the IT needs, uh, the scoring, the media centre, the accreditation centre, etc., wow. etc., and we ran all of that through the course of the, the soccer playoffs, for instance. Wow, and you've got to watch free sports. Yeah. Oh, nah. Yeah, you did? Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And I think one of the things about your LinkedIn um, that is amazing is that you've stayed at like companies for like very long periods of time. Mm. So your first one, when you were talking about the IT support, you stayed there for eight years, which was in the Department of Main Roads, yeah? And then the second mm. one, six months. And then, so how did you sort of um, make that transition from working at um, working as like an IT support technician mm. for eight years and then doing the six months stint in IBM mm. and then into a very long 13 stint at Lion? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite interesting because I went from a permanent type position in government 
uh, and uh, I stepped out into the contracting world, if you yeah. like. Um, and I did do uh, a couple of contracts uh, in between these long stints, if you like. Um, so that was very interesting. I quite enjoyed the, the short stints of the contracts yeah. uh, and the nature of the work, always learning something new. That's always been the undercurrent for me, learning, learning, learning. Yeah. 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 Was it hard to leave the government job for something less stable? Uh, it was, most definitely, because particularly after so many years of being anywhere, um, as we all do, I made some really great... Yeah, they'd be like, oh my gosh, Lloyd, what are you doing? We miss you. Yeah, exactly. So I um, had some really great relationships there that I was having to leave behind. Um, and then to a degree, going into something that was a little bit, um, you know, hey, we don't know how this is going to go yet. Yeah. Um, just, just take it as it comes. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's quite an interesting kind of turning point. So mm. I want to dig a little bit more into it. So what was that? Was there sort of kind of like a trigger or like, um, I don't know, that what sparked you wanting to try something new or was something getting kind of the same old, same old? Because eight years is quite a considerable mm. amount of time. Yeah, I think a big driver of that was uh, getting to expand myself, getting to do new things. Yeah. Uh, you know, experience, getting a, a wider experience. Um, basically, opening myself up to more opportunities. Yeah, mm. brave. <laughs> nice, we're gonna talk about Lion. So you stayed there for like 13 years mm. and seven months. So mm. what did you begin as? And yeah, take us through the process. Yeah, that was certainly an interesting one. So when I started there, um, I started with, uh, the company at the time was called Berry. And it was berry fruit juices. Mm, yeah, um, so what's all the fruit those, juice in your house, huh? All those big <laughs> brands you see on the supermarket shelves, um, vast majority of those. Um, and uh, I worked at a juice um, factory, if you like, a juice plant. Um, at that stage, it was a Palimba in Brisbane. Um, and that was really exciting because I was um, delving into, say, manufacturing environment, logistics environment. Everything was very fast paced. Uh, there was lots of opportunities for uh, learning all sorts of different technologies um, and integration of all sorts of different systems and supporting all that all the way through um, a, a um, say a production situation where you get raw ingredients, it's all mixed together, it's all packaged and then it's sent out. So. Um, yeah, so I started there, it was just a fruit juice company. Um, and over the 13 years, this company had had a number of mergers and acquisitions mm. it was part of. So it evolved into National Foods, which then um, we became part of a much larger dairy, oh. cheese, yogurt. <laughs> Lots of good food in your fridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the portfolio of goods um, and the manufacturing and the warehousing footprint increased yeah that's you know, crazy quite a bit so i was responsible for a number of manufacturing plants and warehouses across queensland and uh, i was doing that as a state-based it support role uh, as a regional support person mm. um, so quite often i was uh, dealing with people in sydney and melbourne um, and just making sure that um, you know information was flying how it needed to and everybody could basically do all the things they needed to, whether they were an office worker mm. 
or someone in the warehouse, whether they were scanning goods for one reason or another, um, or invoicing for trucks coming and going, all of those sorts of things. So it was quite a wide and varied role. And that's really what I enjoyed a lot about working in that sort of environment. Um, you needed to know, you know, a bit about everything. Yeah. Um, so, and then eventually that um, moved into being part of Lion Nathan, um, which is, you know, much larger sort of beverage, alcoholic beverage group. Um, so then I was uh, stationed at Forex uh, at Milton for the last three years of my, my time there. Um, and I was exposed to much more complexity and much wider range of technologies and, and uh, tools as well, then, which was absolutely amazing, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing how it just grew from just mm. being like a plant company mm. and then now you can say 13 years mm. at Lion. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it was quite easy to, to in ways have that continuity of service yeah. because whilst I was in that role continuously, the company changed quite a lot over that time. Yeah. It was very wide and varying. Um, so my exposure to new things and my opportunities were changing and growing all the yeah. time within that time. Yeah, that's awesome. And what was kind of like a day in the life for the um, for the audience to imagine? Yeah. So you'd start up, wake up, 8 a.m. start, Yeah, 8 so you'd basically spend your days walking many, many steps. <laughs> Got through, those. <laughs> you know, it could be through the production facility or through yeah. a warehouse. Um, I also looked after our uh, scanning infrastructure, RF scanning infrastructure wow. across the country. Um, so, you know, I'd also have to make sure that people could scan their products. Yeah. And if any part of the infrastructure broke, it was all hands on deck to get that going again Ooh. much, quite rapidly, you know, to That's keep a lot the of pressure. moving and the product moving. Yeah, and this is, a, you know, what they call a FMCG or fast moving consumer goods yeah. situation. So, you know, if you've got products with a very short shelf life, yeah. you know, you, you need to get that product out to market very quick. So it's turning over quite rapidly all the time. So it's very high pressure. Um, and, you know, we were on an alerting system with a switch went down yeah. or an automated process broke. You know, we'd be getting alerts at all hours. Wow. So um, it's kind of like a 24-hour job. Someone wakes you up in the middle to, of the night? To some respects, yes. Yeah. Oh, broken sleep for 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and did you enjoy that job? Did you, mm. were you like, yeah, I found it. This is my passion at that point in time. I did at the time, but um, you know, it got to the stage where I outgrew that, Ooh. as we all do. We all yeah. get to a point in our, our role. We think, okay, well, I've pretty much done everything I can here. Yeah. Um, what can I now do to evolve to my next Ooh, and then tell me about your next job, Airbus. Yeah, so um, I started a role at Airbus uh, in Brisbane, uh, basically supporting the helicopter operations outside of Australia, Whoa. or across Australia, I should say. Um, and once again, I went into there in a IT support role. Mm. Um, as part of that, my manager introduced me to a process called KCS. Back then it was known as Knowledge Centred Support, now known as Knowledge Centred Service. 
Um, and this is really where I was introduced to the topic of knowledge management. Mm. So whilst I was still very heavily in IT support and very much responsible for um, you know, making sure people's problems get resolved and they can do their roles in the office or even their roles to do with maintaining the aircraft, for instance, I was starting to evolve more into the knowledge side of things, making sure people had the knowledge they needed to get back to their jobs quite quickly, whether something's broken on their computer or whether there's a network situation going on or whether someone can no longer access an operating manual or a maintenance manual that they need to perform their role. I would be collating the knowledge needed to get these things going, getting running again quite quickly and making sure people could tap into that, whether they're ringing into the help desk or whether they're searching and finding that knowledge themselves to help themselves. So that's where I really began my journey into, into knowledge management. Yeah, that's awesome. Was it a natural progression or was it something like the boss is like, hey, on this side, you know, we need someone or is that kind of... Yeah, it was kind of a natural progression. I was the senior support officer there. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's where I really found my passion for knowledge. It was a very easy move into the knowledge side of things because it just made perfect sense. You know, it's like, hey, this is amazing, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm learning new stuff. I'm helping other people learn new stuff. <laughs> I'm helping people to do their jobs and to get back to work much quicker. So for me, that was was quite amazing, it was fantastic. Um, and then that was my first role at Airbus. Um, and then I moved into another role at Airbus um, in the quality team. So this is where I started to transition away from IT um, and more into a pure knowledge sort of role. And um, I moved into a two year fixed term contract um, to become a member of a project to update our quality management system at Airbus Australia. And that was to incorporate knowledge management into our ISO 9001 quality standards oh. so that we could show to our customer, um, mainly the Australian Defence Department, um, that, hey, we know all about managing knowledge and these are the things we do to help us manage our knowledge across the organisation to therefore serve you well as a customer yeah. so that was kind of a, a national role and I have to say when they interviewed me for that <laughs> role they were like what are you doing you're in a permanent role here with you know um, awesome stability and you're moving into a two-year fixed-term role yeah. you know after two years you know there may not be something here for you and that was a, a real defining point for me because up until this point in my life um, I was very much in a fixed mindset of, you know, need that stability, yeah. you know, having that family yeah. um, evolving at home um, and the kids growing up and things like that. We need that stability. And for the first time in, in quite a long time, I felt, you know what, doesn't worry me. As I said to them at the time, look, after two years, you will either find me another role to go into um, or we say goodbye, we part ways and I find something else. Yeah. So that was a real defining moment for me and it's like, 
Hey, wow, yeah. I'm doing this, you know? How do you progress to that Zen enlightenment stage? <laughs> I don't know. It was just, I just felt, you know what, I'm going to throw caution to the wind here. Yeah. And I'm just going to let it take its part. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. So, you know, I did 18 months there in that role um, and then and then I made the decision to move on. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. And then tell me about working for Queensland Department of Education as the knowledge leader. Hello. Yeah, so I did uh, four years there in that role. Um, I've, I moved kind of back into the IT space but with a very heavy focus on knowledge. Um, so I was managing the knowledge base for IT, for Department of Education corporate and school users. Um, school users being principals, teachers, administration staff. Um, and basically that was all about pumping the knowledge into the knowledge base. Yeah. Um, that whole notion where you know, our support people they're on the phone helping customers out and they can quickly tap into the knowledge base and pull up articles to help them. Um, and also our customers be able to once again self-service. It was all about um, deflecting those calls to self-service, getting people to help themselves as much as possible, mm. to decrease the calls coming into the yeah. system um, and making sure people knew that, hey, all this knowledge is here to tap yeah. into. So we had our first level help desk staff which took the calls and we also had a second and third level staff so I was also liaising a lot with those um, in those second and third level teams to give us knowledge to help our first level teams yeah. uh, you know complete their calls get off those those calls quicker and onto the next calls mm. as much as possible um, so that was really uh, tapping into that knowledge centered service mindset um, where you know you want to be dealing with calls as quickly as possible, you want to be uh, minimising people having to call back a second and third yeah. time, <laughs> you know, and you want people to get a consistent, high quality service experience each and every time they pick up the phone or they search for help. Um, so I built up a network across Queensland with uh, our staff. Um, and I used to work quite a lot with our school-based technicians as well to make sure we were servicing them enough so that they could help the teachers and the principals get back to work quicker whenever they needed, for instance. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And how do you sort of like bridge all the knowledge from like the organisation into one kind of central location? Mm. How hard is it? <laughs> that's very tricky because quite often you have lots of different knowledge repositories yeah. for different sorts of knowledge um, and different see different sorts of knowledge is structured in different ways yeah. or they're targeted at different audiences so it's very hard to bring everything into a single sort of source of knowledge if you like the best you can do in those sorts of cases is link out from one to the other to yeah. the other to the other and perhaps have a single area where people know they can go to but that will link them out onto the other areas to help them find the other in information as much as possible. Yeah. When you're talking about these sorts of things like support knowledge, as much as possible you want to have a single source of truth. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be having copies of the same knowledge all over the place, yeah. three or four or five copies, because if one changes, 
then the others are out of date. So I've always been a big proponent of, hey, let's link to this, let's link to that, so that once this is updated, because you're linked to it, it doesn't affect you. The new information just flows. Mm. Mm. And would you say in your sort of knowledge role, like, is there any aspect of, like, the technical that you have to deal with, or is it mainly kind of non-technical? Um, in an IT or a, a KCS type role, most definitely there's a lot of technical. Oh. You still, to a degree, whilst you're not hands-on fixing things, you still have to be very much aware of what's going on, what are the new systems coming online, what are the sorts of things that could possibly go wrong, um, what are the sorts of things that would be great to point out to people, say a top 10 FAQ for instance. Yeah. You know, so you're always liaising with the product owners or the product developers um, to make sure that we're gaining as much of that knowledge as possible and putting that online as early as possible. Mm, that's mm. cool. So do you do stuff like data migration and worry about that stuff? Or? Occasionally. You know, whenever we transition a help desk system to a new platform, um, most definitely you have to be able to, to do things such as data migrations and we did a, quite a major project just before I left there yeah. um, upgrading our ServiceNow instance mm. uh, we were migrating from a heavily customised instance of ServiceNow um, for our IT support um, into a very much, they call it out of the box experience of very much as much as possible uh, we will keep the experience as intended by the product vendor yeah. um, and we will keep the modifications of that as, as little as possible, yeah. which eases future upgradability of the product, for instance. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And yeah. it's so awesome to know that like your previous experience being technical mm. has actually flowed very well and very nicely mm. and it has almost become your kind of advantage mm. point. Yeah, and then tell me what sort of sparked the move into the corporate world, right? You've been working government, government, mm. government, and then now to KPMG. Yeah, so um, once again, I felt that's quite a seamless sort of move for me. Yeah. Um, but getting more back into that core knowledge focus. So I've stepped away from IT again, Yeah. Um, and I'm really back into that focus of organisational wide knowledge which I really love, you know, the, the, the notion that every part of the organisation can benefit from knowledge management, whether it's uh, managing your projects better with things like decision tables, uh, lessons learned, for instance, uh, business as usual activities, um, you know, documenting our processes, improving our processes, um, or just retaining in being able to find work that we've done before so we're not recreating the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So is there like particular teams that you work with? Because it sounds like as like being in knowledge, you would actually have to be very well connected to all of the organisation. Most definitely. You need to um, have good people networks, Yeah. strong communications across a wide range of uh, teams. Uh, because you're really relying on people to share the knowledge. Yeah. But you're also helping people tap into that knowledge. So you've got to be very outward facing. Yeah. You've got to be in some ways proactive, in some ways reactive. Um, you've got to know 
who to tap into for what. And then you've got to be able to help people also know who to tap into what yeah. and to go where for what. So uh, quite a lot of it is about connecting people yeah. to other people or connecting people to resources and tools um, along the way. And there's a lot of education going on all the time um, because you know people change, we have new people coming in, people exiting. So you're constantly running yeah. that education piece as well. You're constantly engaging with teams. Um, you know, you're getting into those teams meetings to help them invigorate their groups, their teams, and help them, you know, have those light bulb moments yeah. and, and really be able to, to understand what it is we've got in terms of knowledge that they can use. That's awesome. And do you think knowledge management is like you found it, this is your passion? Or do you believe that like at every stage, kind of every cycle, every season, you'll go through different things as like focal points for your passion? I think for me, knowledge management is, is that passion I kind of discovered, you know, through my career. And I absolutely love knowledge management, the yeah. whole notion of, you know, knowledge whole notion of learning, of sharing, of connecting people to knowledge. Um, you know, I've had moments where I've connected people to other people in interactions where they've been able to help each other out. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, <laughs> you know like you're tapping into those sorts of coffee machine conversations, if you like, or water yeah. cooler conversations. Yeah. Um, you're actually, you know, I've created a process that formalizes that and allows people mm, you know yeah. to make connections and to discover things that they didn't know that the other person can help them with yeah. whether it's somebody else they know or whether they've got the knowledge they need you know um, there's nothing worse than you know feverishly working away on a project for weeks or months yeah. and finally knocking some, something out that's really of value when someone two or three or four desks away had all yeah, that knowledge yeah, all along, yeah. you know, you've worked really hard to do this and you go, oh, hang on, you could have helped me. Yeah. So I try and create those opportunities for people to make those connections to reduce those frustrations and those time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah, and then I think there are a lot of young people that are watching my podcast and they're like a little bit lost in life and I'm very inspired by your passion. Like, mm. how does one find their passion? <laughs> yeah, I think for me it was just discovery along the way, just trying different things, discovering things and and just taking note of how I'm feeling, you know. Am I really loving this? Is this something I love so much I could do as a job? and not be hard, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, something that's easy to get up in the mornings and, and go to work for, yeah. which this is for me. I absolutely um, love, absolutely love the nature of my work. Yeah. Um, so to a large degree, yeah, it, it keeps me going for sure. Yeah. And then do you mind explaining to the audience, why does knowledge management matter? And do you think it's sort of like, has it been sort of hard to sort of like talk to like the senior management mm. like why we should invest because knowledge management is very much kind of like a long-term thing mm. right and then like they might not see the quick mm. the quick hits and the quick wins yeah most definitely that is a big challenge 
quite often you're leading from sort of the middle um, and whilst you're you know you're managing people to a degree below you they're kind of responsible to you in terms of you know knowledge working with knowledge so you're leading people below you and and across ways yeah but you also have to be able to lead upwards yeah. um, and you also have to be able to to deliver that message to those higher levels um, and know that those staff at the higher levels are backing you or behind yeah. you um, they really need to be able to deliver the knowledge message from their level down as much and I always seen it as kind of meeting them in the middle yeah. because you need them to give their workers the, almost the permission if you like to say hey okay your core role is this your core role is that your core role is that but at the same time there's an underlying current of knowledge that needs to be addressed yeah. while we do our roles um, and you know for instance a good example is um, lessons learned you know if you've got someone has made this awesome discovery through a project you'd want to know that you'd be able to find that out yourself and apply that in your own project rather than have to experience it yourself yeah. go through you know the pain of experiencing yeah. <laughs> that perhaps it was something that went wrong well you can read about this lesson go well okay if I do it this way such and such will happen so therefore I should do it this way another thing about knowledge management is preserving the knowledge of the organization so if you have someone go on leave for an extended amount of time yeah. or someone that leaves the organization you have to stop and think well how much of a gap are we going to have in knowledge once that person goes what people rely on this person in order to be able to do their role mm -hmm. so this is another thing I look at and I call it lotto proofing your knowledge <laughs> so before somebody exits for instance we like to capture you know what are the meetings they go to what are the files and folders they use yeah. what are all the contacts they have etc 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 so that if someone else steps into that role you can hand all that over to them and say hey you've got the position description that says what you have to do but now you've also got this that tells you how you're going to be able to do it yeah which allows that person to ramp up very quickly, become proficient at the role much quicker, and lean on their team members and their manager much less. Mm, yeah, that's hard yeah. to do though. Yeah, very much so. But all these little things actually add up. You know, it could be, um, you know, as much as just increasing the performance of the organisation, because people can tap into all these things much quicker. Um, to a degree, in the commercial world, you know, you're talking about competitive advantage as well. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And so what are the, like, the nitty-gritty of like, how to make sure that the knowledge stays within the company mm. when someone leaves? So are you talking about, like, um, I guess one would be like standardizing the process, mm. right? Would you be creating like a manual, a workbook, that kind of thing? Would you be sort of like, I imagine, conducting interviews with employees of certain teams and then mm. asking them what are their resources is that kind of like the job or? yeah most definitely I mean that's not part of my role what, yeah. what I do but that's very much something that I encourage managers to do <laughs> yeah you know I have these conversations a lot and um, whilst that's not as I say part of my core focus yeah. because I have to concentrate on that 
I also like to drive awareness of the broader knowledge management yeah. topics and aspects. You know, um, what are the other ways that you can do to help your teams perform and retain knowledge and share knowledge between you so that, yeah. you know, your team can be operating at its best. Yeah. Um, do you find that this job requires like a lot of creativity or are there standard ways of doing things? <laughs> to, yeah, you need to have creativity to a degree for sure. Yeah. You have to be able to put together a compelling message, put together a compelling presentation, for instance, that catches people's attentions. Mm. Um, and, and uh, you know, you have to be able to take something and sometimes be able to transform it into something else that people can use, for instance, yeah. Would you say knowledge management has very close links to pro, um, process improvement? Most definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you could be looking at a process um, and thinking, well, can we do this better? You know, and that's going into the lean space where you're yeah. actually analysing processes and you're thinking, well, how long does each step take? You know, and that's where the knowledge comes into it, knowing how a process runs and knowing all the dependencies, all the dependent people along the way, yeah. what knowledge is needed for this step, what's passed on to the next step. You know, and like you could say, for instance, look at um, in the middle of a process, this task, well, what's required before this task can operate? Well, what, what other things can they do upline beforehand to help this process run more optimally? You know, a great example was Airbus um, on their commercial aircraft production line for one of their aircraft. They were running really behind on schedule. They weren't looking at making their orders in time. Um, and the person installing the wiring looms into the aircraft fuselage um, talked with the person that supplied the wiring looms. Mm. And it's like, well, what can you do to help me install the wiring looms quicker yeah that's good you know so all the people along this production line talked with their suppliers if you like and they really you know smash it at the end of the day they smash the ballpark they really rapidly increased their uh their production and and they got their orders met that's so interesting. Yeah, I think yeah, the flow of information is very much mm. dependent on like how connected people are, Most even like definitely. across different teams, and yeah. that's like quite hard to do as the organisation gets bigger and there are like more silos and more specialisation. That's right. You know, they say it's about people, process, and technology, yeah. but to me, at the end of the day, it's all about people connecting. Yeah. You know, we all carry along in our heads a lot of knowledge in our heads. That's called tacit knowledge. Yeah. And. Um, that's a combination of your life experiences and your work experiences. Um, and you bring that knowledge with you and that influences a lot of things that you do, your ways of working, for instance, in, at work. Um, and, and this is where the diversity of, of the people we have across our workforce comes into play. We're tapping into people's different life experiences and work experiences through their tacit yeah. knowledge. You know, there's only so much of that you can capture and put on paper. Yeah. A lot of that is experiential. Um, but, you know, we can share that between us 
and we can all you know learn from that and and benefit from that yeah the ideal world mm. right everyone just shares and mm. <laughs> yeah and just kind of curious to know like who are the people that have personally like inspired you and have like had a big influence on your life yeah probably um my biggest influences and uh, lately whilst i've been doing knowledge management would be um, some of those great leaders in knowledge management across the world, such as Arthur Shelley, who's in Australia, David Gertine in the UK, mm. Stephanie Barnes in Germany. Um, yeah, there's many, many other names as well. So I like to follow a lot of these, you know, thought leaders, if you like, in the knowledge yeah. space and really, you know, get inspiration from the, the work that they're doing. Um, there's so many people in the knowledge management arena that are doing awesome things, they're all doing different things in a way because I find that everyone kind of finds a little niche or specialization. It's all knowledge management, yeah. but we're all taking a little bit of a different angle on it. Yeah. And you put all that together um, and uh, you know it really allows you to tap into quite a wide range of, of um, experiences and tools and and processes that all these people can bring to the table. Yeah, it's quite yeah. inspiring. It's awesome. That's awesome. And so we're nearly at the end of the podcast. Mm. Just a few more quick questions. So the deep one, Lloyd, mm. the one that you've been dreading, what do you think the meaning of life is, in your opinion? Uh, I would always say 42. Oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's, for me, it's about connections, yeah. relationships, whether that's personal relations or relationships or working relationships um yeah it's yeah connecting with people mm. yeah that's awesome mm. so if you won the lottery tomorrow what would you do differently about your life right person <laughs> leaves the organization what happens to the knowledge management but oh, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what kind of like what would you do differently wow that's an interesting one um i've always for quite a long time, I've been passionate about permaculture, mm. growing food, um, you know, getting a little bit more back to nature sort of thing. Yeah. So I would probably buy quite a large block of land, <laughs> disappear for a little while yeah. at, the, at the very least, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So we'll know when that happens, <laughs> right? <laughs> Cannot reach Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, and the final question is, what is an ideal day in the life for you? It can be work-related, it can be mm. non-work-related. Oh, I think, um, you know, a day where I get to do a little bit of everything, you know, I have a few <laughs> little projects I like to do at home, um, you know, learning new things, um, and also obviously when I'm coming to work, being able to, to really, you know, achieve some goals, so whether that's connecting someone to someone or something. <laughs> You know, to me, that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, and then of course, spending some time with the family, um, being able to just connect with members of my family with the things that they love to do, you know? Oh, that's yeah. kind of sweet. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So we're at the end of the podcast. I want to say bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.